This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on wanting a day to recover after having a weekend guest, whether or not to come for the wedding ceremony but not the reception, thank you notes with a twist, and wearing hats while dining out in the COVID era. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about hosting a digital wedding. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a special postscript where Cindy returns to answer a few questions that Dan forgot to ask. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Because I feel like I am needing kind of like a like a recharge, like almost like a an etiquette injection. I'm like I'm like writing the 20th edition, right? There's a lot of etiquette in that book. Mm-hmm. We're we're working on on a website transfer and so there's a lot of updating of etiquette going on. A lot of a lot big of picture thinking. Work going on. There's you know just life happening that's mildly complicated right now. I need that injection of support, that CRH, that consideration, respect, honesty framework that we that we live by and talk by on the show to like encourage me and remind me and give me a place so i'm asking you give it to me because give me a crh show today let's do it let's take it back (laughs) nice so crh for the uninitiated consideration respect and honesty and what are those three words to us well they're foundational principles and For us, that means they're where it all begins. At the very start of this show, we often say where we approach modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. And when you and I first talked about hosting a podcast, one of our sort of small conceits was that it would be fun to have a larger conversation about etiquette with a bigger audience, the kind of conversation that we often have internally at the Emily Post Institute. And The structure for that conversation for us for many, many, many years has been how do the behaviors that we're talking about express core principles of consideration, respect, and honesty? So it's foundational to what we do. It's where it all begins. And we've talked on this show about what those words mean, what they mean to us. And I think they have resonance for a lot of people. And I think it's a great place to get started whenever we are talking about etiquette. And I think it's a great place to go back to whenever we're looking to get that charge that you're talking about. Yeah, it's for me, it's both encouragement and a comfort zone. Because the framework of it is 
something I feel that is strong that you can lean into in in times where you don't feel as confident or you feel a little unsure or maybe it's a new experience. And yet at the same time, it's a comfort because all three of those things are, are things that I would want to have a part of my life that I would want to be uh, using in my interactions with other people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's also really useful, I think, sometimes for interpreting behaviors that you say to yourself, why would we do this if we're talking about something that's traditional or there's an expectation that feels like it's coming from somewhere else, someone else? And if you ask yourself, how does this function? How does this serve them as something considerate, respectful, honest? Oftentimes it can help Mm -hmm. decipher intent as well. Um, And I love the idea of giving that good intent or or, or thinking of other people as being motivated from that place and trying to understand human interaction from that framework. Well, you had asked me because if we would do sort of like an explicit rundown of CRH throughout our questions today, and I thought it was a great, a great idea. So should we get to those questions and, and really hammer out some consideration, respect, honesty? I'd love to do that. Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Weekend Recuperating. 
My husband and I love overnight or weekend company, but we both work and like to have Sunday to clean the house, do laundry, and just generally rest and recoup before we go back to work on Monday. How do we relay to guests that we would love to have them visit for the weekend, but want them to get up and be on their way Sunday morning by mid-morning at least, without coming across ungracious and rude? Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks. Anonymous, thank you for the question. And just because we're doing question one and coming right out of that intro, I've got to start off with a little CRH framework here. And as we apply that, the the first thought is consideration. And consideration is really, when we're talking about an etiquette problem, about just who's involved. Who are the players? You got to ask yourself, who am I being considerate of? And Sometimes that takes bringing your awareness into the moment. In this case, it's pretty well mapped out. We have a host-guest scenario. So we've got the the host for the weekend, and we've got the folks that are coming for the visit. Maybe tangentially the people that are impacted at work on Monday. As far as respect, I'm seeing respect at play here. Everybody is being acknowledged. There are not um, – sort of hidden parties who are being impacted in some way. And Mm -hmm. I think everybody's value in this situation is acknowledged even in the framing of the questions. We're we're already thinking ahead about these guests and how we treat them well from the host's perspective. Um, And then the final thought is the honesty thought. And to me, that is also very explicit in this question, that the the honest scenario is that we want to put a limit on this visit. We want to be really sure that we can be good hosts by setting up good boundaries. And for us, those boundaries are really clear. They're defined by our work life. So that's the CRH framework for this question. Now, shall we dive in a little bit more to the details? Let's do it. So obviously, Anonymous has stated their wishes and they've stated that they don't want to be rude. So the goal is to find language that is going to honestly communicate what they need from their guests while still respecting and considering the fact that they have guests here and that that's a hospitality role they want to maintain and maintain well. One of the things about honesty in all the situation is I also like how it plays with the actual situation itself and the person who's asking the question how they feel about it, because I think it's important to be honest about that. You don't want to say to a guest, oh, yes, please come for the weekend. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. It'll be nice and relaxing. When really you feel like it'll be relaxing through Saturday night and early Sunday morning, and then it's not going to feel relaxing anymore. You know what I mean? Because you want to get on with your day and you're not sure how to sort of move your guests along. I say that this is a communication thing that we deal with at the very start of the invite. And we let folks know we choose to lean on honesty and we choose to be open about the fact that Sunday is typically a day where by mid-morning we like to be getting all the cleaning done so that by the afternoon we can relax before starting our week. I don't think there is anything that could be offensive to a guest who hears that before they commit to a, a weekend together. I could see it sounding offensive after we commit to a weekend together. So before you make the invite, I think that's where we think about consideration and respect. And and we, we're honest about what we need, but we do it before the other person commits. So 
Helen, we would love to have you both come up for the weekend. Here's kind of how how we tend to structure things by Sunday morning. Would you guys want to come from Friday to to sort of that early Sunday morning time? Would that be all right? That lets people know. You could also serve it up more eloquently than I just did. Um, but I think that that lets people know what you're willing to work with. And that you you do ha- I I don't mind among friends giving a little bit of reason for why you're looking for for that early morning and afternoon to be clear and free and and time that you can kind of get back and reset yourself. I think it's nice to communicate those things. I couldn't agree more. I love your emphasis on early, early, early. The sooner the better, and sort of the the inflection point being have people committed already. And I agree that that communication is so key. Give them sort of the respect of being able to understand where you're coming from. So the amount of detail that's in the question, and it wasn't a long question, gives me all the information I need. I like the idea of explaining and it not needing to be too much. There is a a little question of dosage. You don't need to overemphasize just how burdensome it would be if people lingered too long. Yeah, that's where it would start to get inconsiderate (laughs) and disrespectful. (laughs) And I was thinking about sort of a refinement step, as is often the case. How do you take a a kind truth and make it even kinder or more benevolent? Um, And I, I was thinking, is there something you can sort of give them as a touch point on Sunday morning. Part of the question for me, there's an etiquette question about how early you're requiring someone to leave. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> is, is, is mid-morning 9.30 because you wake up at 6 or is mid-morning 11? Um, is there right. a service that people attend on Sunday? Isn't there? A, a lot of things could come into play. And maybe uh, something, a, a landmark in the morning. And I was imagining inviting someone to a brunch if there was a brunch spot that you liked or if you there was something you liked to make, a special pancake breakfast on Sundays or something like that. That might be a way to catch the visit. Yeah, yeah. You know, you set up the you set up the brunch for like 9 a.m. and then just encourage them to pack their suitcases before they leave and put them in the car on the way and follow you in a separate car. I'll confess no, that's kind you, of what I was thinking. <laughs> but it is like you you can't quite do that. That 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 starts to to verge on on like feeling it, it feels awkward if it's like you're leading and they're not agreeing to it the whole way. You know, it's like it's one thing if your guest pipes up with, oh, well, why don't we just, you know, grab coffee or, you know, a pastry or brunch or something like that, like on our way out of town in the morning, you know, and like and then you can agree to it. But but you kind of want to you want that to be something that they're they're willing to join you with, not something that feels like a scheduled directive to kick them out. Okay, so I I can see how that has the potential to come across badly. (laughs) What would you use as a sample script? How do you set up sort of a landmark for someone that morning so that you can give them a firm boundary? Or or how do you come back and make a reminder if you don't feel like you've done that well or you just want to reemphasize it? What, What exactly do you say? I didn't really give us a good sample script on the first round. I think that the way you want to approach this again when the invitation is being issued, you set up your need for Sunday to be a, kind of like a hard stop um, and and pick your time and be sort of clear about it. And like we said, you can explain. So it might sound something like, Helen, we would so love to have you. Here's kind of how we've been structuring weekend visits. We're able to start entertaining folks by and then let them know the afternoon or the evening on Friday 
And happy to have you stay Friday night and Saturday. Sunday, we really like to get going on cleaning the house and and sort of getting ready for the week and then having some nice couple time or family time Sunday evening. So if it's all right with you, um, we're hoping to be saying our goodbyes sort of around maybe like mid-morning, 10-ish, 10.30. Let us know if that works for you. And if it does, we'll be so excited to have you. I think that kind of gives you that specific time that Dan was saying, what's what's your mid-morning? What's your, you know, kind of early to lean on? And then if you haven't heard any sort of plans for getting ready and packing up by late, I think, Saturday evening, I wouldn't lean back on the you need to be out by 10 But I would just simply say something like, do you need us to help you get anything ready in the morning? I figured I would have coffee and and breakfast ready for folks at 830. I like that. I think those might be ways of inviting sort of yourself to help or to to make the morning easy on folks as they're getting out rather than saying something like, and just a reminder, we're trying to be able to start cleaning the house by 10, which doesn't sound terrible when you say it, but feels kind of terrible or unnecessary in certain ways when I think about saying it as advice to someone. Because I, I'm, I'm buying it. I'll take that sample. You're buying script. it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> well, I am hoping that Anonymous buys it too. Hopefully, you will have many weekends where you can enjoy visits with your friends and have that sweet Sunday afternoon time together. Because Betty and Tom want to share a light in the work as well as the fun, they all change places, and everyone is having fun. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Our next question is about a COVID matrimony mess. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. Congratulations on the podcast. What a great show. Please tell us about wedding RSVP etiquette guideline adjustments in the age of COVID. My family and I have been invited to a local wedding this autumn, and unfortunately, we live in a current hotspot for virus cases. Would it be appropriate to accept an invitation for the ceremony only and not the reception? The ceremony will be held in a location that allows space for social distancing. But we have reservations about safely eating and drinking at the reception. If this is appropriate, how shall we word our response to the happy couple that we would love to witness their union but decline their reception invitation in a gracious manner? Thank you so much, and thanks for doing your part to making our world a kinder, more polite place. Best, Katie. Katie, thank you for writing in with this question. Dan, let's just run this through consideration, respect, and honesty right off the bat, since that's kind of the theme of the show. I think in this case, the the consideration, the who's involved and how are they affected, uh, we're looking at obviously Katie and her family who've been invited to this wedding and obviously the couple, um, but the other guests at the wedding. And I also think that in this particular case, because COVID is a question and they are in a hot spot, Katie also needs to be considering the other people that she and her family interact with. 
And I think that that's really important to not leave out. Much like in the business situations, we consider the greater reputation of a company at large. I think because we are still, and it sounds like they are in a virus hot, sort of hotspot, that people are sticking a bit more to their pods, even in outdoor socially distanced spaces and things. So that's sort of our who's involved and how are, how are they affected. In terms of a variety of solutions, I mean, you could certainly decline, right? You could certainly attend or you could try to talk to the couple and find out if there's the possibility of doing kind of a hybrid, like what you would like um, to attend the ceremony, but not the reception that might make you feel safe, but still participate. And Dan, to me, that starts to be something that hits our respect level in a really nice way. I agree. And just to to stick with our formula, how how do yep. you apply honesty here? How do you think about sort of your true purpose in a situation like this? Let's let's think about it from Katie's perspective. From Katie's perspective, I think the honest thing to do is to and very similar to our last question, actually express um both your desire and your worry. And so in this case, you know, it would be expressing to the couple that we really do want to support you. Um, and, and a wedding would be a really nice thing to support someone in right now. But we are, I am concerned about, uh, safety and I'm wondering if it would be possible to attend the ceremony, but bid goodbye and congratulations after that and not attend the, the reception. And if you have, you know, if that's something that, that you would feel comfortable with, and if you don't, I completely understand. That would be the way to go. I, you know, lean into the couple directing their day and how how they would like it to happen. Because I really like your emphasis on the both the worry and the excitement. That that's what's what's honest is that there are these two competing sort of emotions within you: the desire to participate and celebrate, and the desire to be safe and to keep others safe. And I really like how the sort of extreme options really fall away quite quickly, that the declining completely doesn't really let you be true to the part of you that really wants to participate in the ways that you feel like you could. And just going and just seeing what happens doesn't really honor that worry either so that 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 Mm -hmm. middle ground becomes where we're operating. And like you, I think in – an era of COVID, people are used to being more flexible. They're they're used to these kinds of discussions. The wedding has probably yep. already gone through some changes as people have thought <laughs> about how to host it well. And right. it, it, I don't think it's going to be a, a left field request. So I no. think that just being honest about where you're coming from and what your concerns are is actually a, a, a really good approach. And as you say, done with a little bit of kindness and awareness of what the hosts are going through goes a long way to delivering it well. And I think that your refinement with this step might happen if the host responds with, well, let me tell you what we're doing at the reception to keep things safe. And if you hear things that make you feel more comfortable, you might adjust and say, you know, we would be able to participate in some of that. And if you hear things that make you really glad that you've already started to, to half decline this invitation, then, or that just confirm that you shouldn't go to that reception, then I think you say, I really appreciate you explaining that to me. I, either let us take a little bit more time to think about it, or you can say, I think we're still going to ask you if it's okay to just go to the ceremony and not the reception, but I really appreciate you taking the time to explain it. 
I think that those those would be ways to handle sort of that follow up that might that very well might come your way. Katie, we really hope that this works out for you, that your hosts are amenable to the suggestions that you're going to offer so that you can feel safe and participate and really celebrate this special day. This is one party that just has to turn out right. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together. And a successful party needs planning and skill. And they should all be fun. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled, Thank You Note, with a twist. I feel like that should be a new cocktail. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I recently spent a nice weekend away for a change of scenery. I stayed at a nice Airbnb, which was a private room basically detached from the host's living quarters. I had very little interaction with the hosts, and that was fine. It was perfectly comfortable and suitable, and I enjoyed the mini vacation immensely. I'd like to write the hosts a thank you card on top of the email I sent them on my return, just to keep the tradition alive and have a reason to use both the post office and the stationery I've purchased over time. Here's my, small I know, conundrum. The only quibble I had with this place was that the Wi-Fi, while advertised as being strong and reliable, didn't appear to be so. I think the area didn't have particularly great cell phone coverage as an alternative. As a result, using the internet both on my phone and on my computer wasn't terribly reliable, including texts and phone calls. I was trying to make plans one afternoon, and it was difficult because I couldn't definitively count on receiving a text or a call about when to leave to meet them. I'd like to mention this to them, but I don't know that including it in a thank you note is appropriate. Then again, I feel like slipping in an additional piece of paper solely for the purpose of airing a problem also seems awkward. Can you help guide me through a gentle way of letting them know that one of the things they advertised wasn't exactly great? Thanks so much for all you do. Disconnected. Oh, disconnected. You say this is a small problem, but being disconnected can be a real problem. And I know even though it's something we try to go after sometimes on our vacations, it can be problematic in actually making the vacationing part of vacation happen. Absolutely. And I could think of a couple different ways. I mean, for me being connected sometimes is about my favorite audiobook or something that would be very much part of my R&R. And other times it might be that that coordination with someone that you're trying to visit with. I think this is definitely the kind of thing that a host for an Airbnb would want to know. If there was something that affected your overall positive feeling about an experience and mm -hmm. was something that was correctable either in the substance of the thing itself or the way they represent it, uh, it's – in many ways, really courteous behavior to let someone know. In fact, honesty is probably going to take us there. I should stick to our CRH framework and we're going to get to a good answer here. <laughs> so if we if we start with consideration, that's who's involved and how are they affected? We've got disconnected and we've got the Airbnb folks, right? And depending on how this is handled, do we also have the greater Airbnb audience that might look at this place? Future guests eventually? factor in for yeah, me here, for guests. sure. 
And how are they all affected, Dan? Well, we've got a situation where something's being represented one way and someone experienced it another way. So there are a few possible solutions. Um, We've got a thank you note that's going to be going out. We could include something about the problem in the thank you note. We could not say anything at all. We could opt to just send the thank you note but avoid the awkward, potentially awkward conversation. Or we could communicate about what's awkward in some other way and really keep that thank you note focused on the thank you. And we could also ditch the thank you altogether and just file the complaint. Uh, it's an option I don't think we're going to go for in this scenario, but it's, it's out there. It certainly is. And oftentimes one of the, the real tips when you're thinking about solutions is give yourself a couple bad choices because it'll sometimes help you say, oh, no, that's not a good choice. Obviously, for this reason, now you've sort of learned something about the situation. That's that's a particular place you don't want to go. Right. I think that evaluating solutions based on respect helps us eliminate some of those options pretty quickly. So not sending any thank you note doesn't give voice to all the things you appreciated about this experience. Yeah. Not saying anything about the problem isn't really respectful in some ways to future guests. And if you like Airbnb, if you like a system of sort of distributed hosting and guesting, participating in a way that supports that system is – is important and and is definitely a respectful consideration. So that kind of leaves me thinking about that that middle ground choice. I want to send the thank you note. I want to say something. Is the thank you note the right place for it? What do you think? I don't think it's the right place for it. I think that disconnected's instinct that it doesn't feel right to write it in the body of the thank you letter or that it doesn't feel right to add it on a separate piece of paper, both are good etiquette instincts here. I would instead handle the complaint through the platform that I booked these folks on. And so I know that there are personal messaging abilities within Airbnb. And so that's a place where, especially if I didn't need or feel the need for this to be an outwardly facing conversation, which I know is a pretty sensitive matter on Airbnb, A lot of hosts, for obvious reasons, prefer that if you have a complaint, you mention it to them privately. And a lot of users say, hey, people should really know or see how this stuff is handled by you. Um, And you can go through and see on on public postings of, of sites, the comments on them and things like that, some nasty back and forths between folks. I think that if you really like these folks, um, personally, I would, I would send it as a private message and reiterate at the start what a great time you had. Obviously, your personal thank you note will also do that. Um, but you can say there was one thing that I might suggest or that I felt didn't quite line up with the uh, presentation of the, the Airbnb rental um, online. And that was that the connectivity, I actually had a really hard time with it. Um, I also, the only thing that comes to mind right now, disconnected to, is did you at any point ask them about the connectivity or see if, if anything like needed a reboot to help get it going? I don't even know if that's possible. Maybe I just made something up. But I, I always wonder if you have a problem with something, did you bring it up during your stay at all? Um, that's another thing that, that will make me try to handle something a little bit more privately if I haven't requested things or, or talked with them about it during the actual visit. I like that idea of doing a first pass with the hosts and giving them a chance to respond to you, either if it's in the moment with some kind of fix or repair or acknowledgement of the situation, Mm -hmm. or if it was 
something I was following up with after, I would either be looking for or want to hear some sort of assurance that they were thinking about it, looking into it, or change the listing in the way it was advertised. If it is just a condition that because of the load on their system these days, the internet's not as reliable as it was when they set this thing up six months ago, or they've heard from some guests that no, it's, it's not as fast or as consistent as they're used to, that they take that information and actually change the way they present. If you get those kinds of responses, to me, it makes it so much easier to not want to leave a public review. Right, or a that, negative public review, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that there's room, though, also for that public review and to do it in a way that is also honest about all the good experiences that you had, all the things you liked and appreciated about your hosts and the rental, but also is upfront about the issues that you had with it. I would, as someone evaluating places to stay, appreciate seeing a review like that if it was something that that you felt wasn't being addressed. I think a respect to that larger community allows for you to share that publicly. I think that's part of the way that space works as long as you do it in a way that's not mean. So there you have it disconnected. We say go for the thank you note, put all your gratitude in there, use the platform as a way to communicate one-on-one with the Airbnb host about the issue that you had. And then if that exchange goes well, great. If that, you know, you can post publicly about how great it was and how they even, you know, took feedback really well. And if it doesn't go well, you can use your discretion whether or not you post about that in the in the more public version of the review. We hope this helps and we hope you have many more wonderful vacations in the future. And what do you think about manners in general? Do you think manners really start with consideration for others? There's a lot to think and talk about on the subject of manners and many good reasons to ask, are manners important? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We'll finish today with a hazy hat question. To whom it may concern, given that, due to unfortunate global circumstances, the use of outdoor spaces, some improvised and some not, for restaurants is on the rise. I have now eaten outdoors more than ever before. However, this leaves me with a question. Is the outdoor dining area of a restaurant considered to be indoors or outdoors for the purposes of removing a hat? For example, a hallway or elevator, while technically indoors, is treated as outdoors, meaning that a gentleman wears his hat. Does the converse apply to outdoor dining? That is, while physically outdoors, are those spaces to be treated as if indoors for the purposes of hats? Thank you, Brian. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for giving us a deliciously etiquette geek out question. I am so excited about this. Also, I do remember recently, not recently, within the last year, I would say recently, reading either a question and I can't, or a comment, and I can't remember if we ended up using it or not, 
that was about this idea of um, hallways and elevators and which are treated as indoors and outdoors, even though they are indoors. And even in Emily's own writing, um, I think that's that might be what I'm thinking of is a section from the 1922 edition where we talked about it. Um, it's it's a delicious little space of etiquette, and I love the question you bring to us, Brian, because you are right. You're dining with someone, so typically we want our, our faces open to people. A lot of hats have brims. Um, traditionally, out of respect, we remove hats at the table. So would being outdoors be any different? At the same time, I could see you're outdoors. Maybe there aren't any kind of shade coverings or anything. Hat might be really important, either for your skin health or for just your own comfort levels due to the heat. I mean, Dan, I could I could go so far, but before I do, stop me and let's CRH it. I was waiting for that moment. <laughs> you knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I, I, I also was excited about this question. I was saying to myself, I think Lizzie and I are going to disagree about this one. <gasps> and I was looking forward to that. And <laughs> as I was thinking about that, I was saying, you know, let's do the CRH. It's going to give a nice structure to the discussion. So it's not just, well, I think this and I think that. But who knows? Maybe we end up thinking about it pretty similar by the time we work it a little bit. Okay, so who's on your consideration list for who's involved and how they're affected by this? So there's hat wearer. There are the people dining with hat wearer. And then there are the other people in the space. Um, And I would include the ownership, the people that have worked hard to create the atmosphere, the experience, that outdoor dining situation. I love your list, and I would add one more person to it, and that's the server, because while they sort of got included in your general establishment and the other people who are around, there's someone you're going to interact with a little bit more than than sort of those other patrons, probably. All right. So what are some solutions here? We could leave the hat on. We could take the hat off. We I think could... that might be it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, just because, you know, we, we love that liminal middle ground. Um, could you opt to leave the hat on but say something to the people around you? Okay. I like, I, I like that you found a little middle ground there. Okay. Not everything is binary. But... <laughs> I was kind of hoping we would have something that was for once. Okay. So uh, what about respect? What does each of these things do for the, for the different parties involved? Well, I was delighted that in your first response, you talked about one of the reasons we take a hat off being to show respect to the people that you're with. And for me, that falls under the category of tradition, that it's something that's been done. And because of that, it's a courtesy that many people expect. There's a certain language to it. The removing of a hat has become gestural in many ways. And that gesture communicates something, oftentimes respect. So – When I think about how respect plays in, I think taking off your hat at a table is often interpreted by the people around you as something respectful. I'm also trying to acknowledge practicality here, that the heart of good etiquette and a lot of the rules around when hats stayed on or when they came off had to do with really practical considerations. And I want to keep that in mind also. For example, you take your hat off for a religious service, but for many people, the hat is part of an outfit for a service and is actually not something that you remove. It's something you explicitly leave on. And part of that was about style, but also part of it was about the practicality of a hat requiring that it be incorporated and pinned into your hair and just wasn't something that was easy to take on and off. Mm -hmm. So I also want to 
acknowledge and honor, respect some of those practical considerations that make manners possible or not. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you're outside, a hat is practically useful if it's keeping your hair contained and from blowing all over the place and making it hard to eat or awkward to eat. It might even be there's something about just the angle of the sun. There's glare. There's light on your face. And by having a hat, you can actually look at people more easily. You can connect with people more by having a hat on than off. Sometimes those are just the practical realities that you're dealing with. I think that that's the place that gets me on our honesty step to the solution of it depends. So consider your surroundings. Is this a formal establishment? Is this sort of like a formal luncheon that you're trying to have and and dine outside? Is it a very casual place? Um, I would think just a little bit about the atmosphere that clearly, as Dan had mentioned in that first Who's Involved, that the the establishment is trying to create for this space. And does it feel like a hat's appropriate for that? Then I would think about who I'm with. And then I would think about whether or not the hat is serving a particular practicality for me. And and those would be sort of how I would, I would like triage or, or figure out like where I am with whether or not I should try and wear the hat or not. I think that if I'm going to say yes to wanting to wear the hat, that's where I feel really comfortable moving into the third solution that Dan uh, came up with for us. And that is to leave the hat on, but to explain to my guests or to beg their pardon or the other people that I'm dining with. Um, you know, pardon me for keeping my hat on. I have been trying to keep out of the sun or pardon me for keeping my hat on to avoid the glare. But if I don't have that that real practical reason there, I'm going to fall back into tradition and, and remove my hat at the table, I think. And I'm going to strip the I think right off that. And this is oh, where okay. you're going to say I, <laughs> this is where I was imagining us maybe sort of rubbing up against each other with our answers in a way that might cause a little friction. Hey, um, you just keep your six foot distance, mister. <laughs> OK, so to keep things as simple as possible, I was saying to myself, take your hat off when you sit at a table to eat with other people. And I I, I was taking myself into the situation. I was saying, you know, it's not about the the externalities beyond the table. I'm really thinking about showing respect to the people that I'm eating with. And to me, that's a a really strong directive. And it probably comes from a place in my childhood. I had a baseball cap that was glued to my head for about two years when I was a teenager – And the one place I removed it was because it was the one place where there was no choice. It was a just a a certain expectation, one that I was not allowed to question, was my grandparents' dinner table. And I didn't like the way I looked without my hat on. I didn't like the way my hair fell without my hat on. All of those considerations that um, come into play came into play for me, and it just didn't matter. If you were eating at the table with your grandparents, you took your hat off. And that burned a groove in my psyche around how much it matters to some people that you show respect by taking your hat off when you come to the table. And if I was balancing that against the practical concerns, the practical concerns are all about me and my comfort. And I'm not saying that those things don't factor into the equation. They might. They might be so important or they might come to the point where I'm going to make a choice that way. I would feel compelled to say something and I don't think I'd ever feel really comfortable with it would be the other way I'd put it. I, 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 it, would, it would feel awkward to me doing it. 
So wait a second, because this is this is where I'm not certain I see the difference between what we we are saying. Because like I'm I'm not seeing a whole lot of friction here. Your your goal would be to always have your hat off. I think the personal that you're expressing is that it would make you uncomfortable to even have to utter an excuse of. I'm watching out for skin cancer right now, so pardon me while I leave my wide-brimmed hat on or something like that. Um, but whereas I think I would probably feel a little more comfortable if there was a reason for it, just simply stating the reason and and eating with my hat on and dealing with it. Is that what you mean? Well, it is. And okay. when you when you take us into a safety part of the question, if if, yeah. if my concern was I was recovering from skin cancer and I really was supposed to stay out of the sun, that would not make me uncomfortable to okay, say. Safety that's supersedes the kind of stuff etiquette. I'm thinking of. Yeah. But to me this is an it's an etiquette question. If I'm thinking just broadly, if I'm now eating in outdoor dining areas, is it okay for me to leave my hat on? My etiquette instinct answer is no. No. I'm, I'm going to treat those like other places where I'm at the table with people and I'm going to take my hat off as a sign of respect to those people. Brian, we hope this gives you some food for thought and that you feel confident whatever you decide when you sit down at your next outdoor table. Everybody tells me to be more thoughtful. Well, I'd like to be more thoughtful. If I only knew what it meant. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And we have a voicemail from Stephanie who called in to give us feedback about her experience with handling others who use strong language, bad words around your children. Hi, this is Stephanie. I was calling about some feedback to the question about trying to keep um, loved ones and friends from cursing around your child. And while I don't usually use a lot of language around people, I do have a friend who is very sensitive to even slang words, some slang words that I am not really offended by, and so I use them occasionally. And one, I think it was two different times I was using them around them, and I dropped one, and they, and the mother went, oh, little ears, little ears. And I just loved that. I went, oh, no, oh, I'm so sorry. 
And that just let me know kindly that she didn't really want me to use those words around her son. And I didn't know at the time since it wasn't really a curse word, but she just wanted to let me know. And that was her way. And I just really loved that. I thought it was really ingenious. And she's really done it twice. We've been friends for years and years. But and I know to this day, I don't use those words around her son. So I just thought that would be a good good advice for somebody to do reminders. Like my mom always used to give us little reminders when we would forget to get in the car and put on our seatbelt. She'd just go, seatbelt. And just the little two-word thing that's like a happy little reminder of just seatbelt. It's kind of like that. Little ears. Oh, oh, little ears. So that way you don't have to make a big, huge deal out of it. And people go, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And that way you just move on and it's not a big, huge, hairy deal. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Stephanie, thank you for that feedback. You definitely reminded me. I have heard little ears, little ears. And you're right. It is a great reminder. It is. No, it's those are kind of those those soft ways, I think, that people can get behind a correction about as opposed to feeling like they get something really heavy. And when we talk about a light, quick correction, that's the kind of spirit and voice and sound. Little ears, little ears. And you're, oh, sorry, sorry. That's what you want to try to create is that space for someone to really accept the correction. And for some reason, that that voice and, and, and small, sweet, like you're saying, short phrases can be those really easy reminders. Thank you so much for reminding us about little ears. And thank you for leaving a voicemail so we could hear you say it. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. We love to hear your voice. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Lizzie and I have stepped away from the mic because we wanted to make a little room for a special postscript with Cindy Post Senning. And this was something I started thinking about when Cindy joined the show a couple weeks ago, and I'd been hoping to do a postscript where I got to ask some questions, sort of an archive project within the Post family. And we ended up talking about uh, some children's etiquette concepts, the when you I feel statements, and that took precedent and it went very well and it made me think, boy, I really want to get Cindy and Peter back on the show more often to do some other postscripts. So this is what's happening. I've got Cindy post-sending on the line and I'm going to surprise her with a couple of questions. Mom, are you there? Are you ready to go? I'm here, Dan. Well, thank you for, for playing along and being willing to, to jump on the phone and do this. It's my pleasure. I always enjoy doing these chats with you. Excellent. Well, this one is um, very much uh, in the spirit of a chat, and it came from me watching Anisha and Aria playing with you and Pop, and I was thinking about how much I treasure that they're getting to know their grandparents, that my kids are getting to know my parents, and that you're real personalities in their lives, and it got me thinking about my relationship with my grandparents and what... Um, how present they were for me growing up and how I have a real sense of them as people. And it got me thinking about Poppy a little bit, my grandfather, your father, and that Emily Post was his grandmother and that he probably really knew her well, had a real sense of who she was. And I wanted to 
ask you about that a little bit because he's not available. I was curious what your impressions are of Emily as you've heard them from your father. If I were to ask you, what did your father tell you about Emily as a person, the person that he knew? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? I think the first thing is that they were really close, that when he was with her, she was sort of devoted to him. He tells stories about going to her apartment in New York. He also lived in New York and going and playing with his toy soldiers. And they would both be on the ground in front of her fireplace, setting up all these little toy soldiers. And I don't know what they played, but that was one of his fondest memories of her was the that sort of time they spent together playing and doing things. He, he spent much of his growing up life with her. Uh, he was very close with her. She, he was her only grandchild. And he spent summers with her on the vineyard in Edgartown, where she had a house. He actually lived with her for uh, 10 weeks every summer. And I think she was devoted to him. And that's what I think of. My impression of that was the of the way he talked about her was this close relationship that she really was devoted to him. And he felt it. I'm curious, about what ages would he have been when he did those summers on the vineyard with Emily? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Probably, you know, the equivalent of um, like middle school. He actually went to a St. Paul school in New Hampshire, a prep school, you know, boarding school. Mm-hmm. And he would come home from boarding school and stay with his parents in their apartment in New York City until his birthday, which was the 4th of July. And then right after the 4th of July, he would go and stay with her. So he was old enough to kind of travel and be with her without his parents there. His parents went to Newport, and he really preferred Edgartown, and he preferred sort of being with his grandmother. He loved being with his grandmother. So that worked really well for him. And um, he was old enough he would do sailing and playing tennis and, and, and kind of hanging out on the, in Edgartown in a way sort of different, a little less formal and socialite than Newport. That, that he also described that that way. Interesting. Um, And I'm curious about sort of aspects or elements of Emily's personality that might emerge in how Poppy would talk about her. Things that he thought were admirable about her or maybe uh, things that weren't so admirable, little personality quirks (laughs) that that worked or didn't work between them. Um, Sort of any personal reflections like that that you can remember? There are two things that I recall about his reflections about her, other than that, as I said, but I preface all of that always with the extent to which he felt very close with her, that they, they were always very close. But he went to MIT in Boston uh, for his college experience, and she came to see him, and he did not want her to come to the fraternity house he was in because, well, she was already, you know, she was famous and the etiquette lady, and he he just sort of didn't feel comfortable about that with his gang of friends kind of at the fraternity. So he wouldn't bring her to the fraternity, and she was furious with him. And it's the one time I remember him talking about her being angry with him, <laughs> that, that she got yeah. very angry with him because he wouldn't bring her to the fraternity in Boston. And so that would have been college age. You ask what his ages were. The other thing about her that he talked about, uh, that, that he had talked about in one of his stories about her, was the extent to which when she was sort of 
if she had um, was angry with somebody, not him in that case, I don't want to mix that up with that, but if something happened and somebody fell out of favor with her, out of a friendship or whatever, she would be done. She was done with that person when she got divorced from her husband. That was it. She had nothing more to do with him other than that the boys went uh, went to her, her sons, my, my grandfather, went to stay with their father. Other than that, she sort of had nothing to do with him. She didn't mention him or talk about him. When it was done, it was done. And when I was growing up, we lived in South America for a number of years, seven years. And we came home from that sort of seven-year stint at one point. And my father realized that a woman who had been her very close personal friend and secretary was no longer in the picture. And there had been a time where she had sort of let it slip that she thought she was going to be the one kind of inheriting the etiquette world. And Grandmama, that's what we called Emily Post. She was Grandmama to us. Grandmama was furious that she had never indicated to this woman that she was going to be taking over the etiquette world. And the ended the relationship. They were done. And she, my dad never heard about her in the picture again. That happened while we were away. And when he came home and he asked about it, he just got no sort of story. There was no discussion about it. Anyway, she when she was done, she was done. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> That's so interesting. Oftentimes on this show, when Lizzie and I are um, answering questions, I, I find myself being the one saying, well, this, the sooner you can be shut of that whole situation, the better. <laughs> the sooner yeah. you can put a bow on that and never think about it again, yeah. the easier your life's going to be. It, it's, it's funny. There's a... Uh, yeah. Maybe a slightly less severe version of that sort of sentiment that has definitely sort of been passed down in the family, no question. Right. I, and I just have to say that uh, that I think about the couple of videos we have of her. Those videos, we have some videos of her playing with my brothers, Alan and Bill. And uh, just watching her kind of laughing with them and tossing the ball for Alan and just being engaged, even in her kind of dress grandmotherish dress and everything that she had on she was just down there on the lawn playing with them and i love that video it just makes me see that side of her you're um making me think that i have to make an offer to put that video up i'm going to do it on our patreon page for our sustaining members and i know our facebook page has been relatively silent for a while but i was talking to our social media manager last week and we're, we're wanting to pay some more attention to that page and this would be a great opportunity to put some of those uh, home movies up where people could take a look at them. She she was very fond of all of her the people who read her books and were you know were were um, would come on the bus and uh, uh, or would come and stop and take pictures of her house in Edgartown. And she would occasionally invite people in and just talk with them and learn about what was going on in their lives. That helped her as she developed her different etiquette pieces. So she was sort of outgoing and, and friendly and that way, you know, anyway, I don't remember her too much. I, I was 10 when she died. And um, no, I actually I was 13. But uh, I didn't see her much as she was older and not quite as well in her last couple of years. And I just remember people ask me what I thought of her. And I can only tell you this was like going to your grandmother's like any one of you who might go to your grandmother's. I don't think I realized she was like an etiquette lady. <laughs> it was like when you went to your grandmother's, you dressed up a little bit and you got there on time and you had dinner with your grandmother, you know. So anyway, that's the way I always thought of her.
I love it. You you kind of anticipated the last question that I wanted to ask today, which was just about some of the details of life, the mm-hmm. ways she lived, the things that might have happened every day that didn't seem like big deals, but might give us a, a little more of a picture of her personality. And, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're talking about. You know, she um, had a pretty um, standard routine. She would wake up and she would bring and they would and and her maid would bring her coffee and her muffins in bed. And she worked in her bed until just before noon when she would get up to get dressed and get ready for the day and go down and have her lunch downstairs. And then she would work in the afternoons, whether she was in New York or in Edgartown, she would work in the afternoons. And then dinner was at seven. One of the things that my dad does talk about her a lot was the extent to which being on time was for her the most important thing, and you just were never late. And dinner was at seven. And I said to him once, well, what happened if you didn't get there in time for dinner, you know? What if you were sailing and the wind went away or something? You were becalmed. He said, you never got there later than seven. You just didn't. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, she was pretty strict about that. And and having having the, the uh, clock set in her house, and the woman who used to call her to dinner would come up and wait outside the puzzle room or wherever she was working in the house about a minute or two before, so she could call her to dinner at exactly seven o'clock. The strike of seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how. So she was pretty definitive about some things and straightforward. She was very bright. She was intelligent. She loved writing. She loved her work you know, all of those things. She loved doing her radio show as much as anything else that she did. She listened to the radio. She loved colors. She had plastic covers for her telephones. So she had red and different color telephones in her different rooms. She was an interesting lady. (laughs) Well, I I could go on like this all afternoon and very well might someday, but um, we do have time constraints on this show. So I'm going to try to keep this short for, for Chris and Lizzie's sake, but Thank you so much for taking the time to, to jump on and be surprised by a few questions about the family. My pleasure. I love talking about Emily. She was really a special woman, and I enjoy having the opportunity to tell people about her. So thanks. And thank you, our listeners, for indulging me on a kind of different postscript this week. And if you like what you hear, let us know, because we can do more of this kind of thing in the future. Blow your nose if you must. But do it inconspicuously and be sure your handkerchief is fresh. And don't apologize. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have an email from Faith. Howdy, AE team. I wanted to share an etiquette salute for my coworker, Felicia. We live in a country where employers are expected to provide housing for their employees, which means that many of my coworkers live in the same apartment building that I do. Felicia happens to live in the apartment above mine, and a couple months after we all began working from home due to the pandemic, I received an email from her with this message. Hi, Faith. I hope all is well. I know you live directly underneath me, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. I do home workouts almost every day for an hour in my bedroom. The program I am doing is pretty intense, and sometimes we have to do a lot of jumping and fast steps. I try my best not to make too much noise, but please excuse me if you hear me. Thanks for understanding. 
Honestly, I hadn't even noticed any noise from her direction, but it was so nice to hear her think about the fact that I was below her and not only let me know about it, but try not to make any noise while exercising so that she didn't disturb me. We barely know each other. We don't interact much at work and don't socialize together. But she still took the time to think about her coworker slash acquaintance downstairs, and it really warmed my heart. Thanks, Felicia, and thanks to everyone at the Emily Post Institute for the great podcast. Best faith. Oh, What a great salute. It's such a reminder to me that reaching out is so important it doesn't the the behavior doesn't change any the expectations don't shift any it just makes someone feel so good to be considered and acknowledged faith thank you for sharing And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. We are at... <laughs> Emily Post Inst on Twitter. We are at Emily Post Institute on Instagram. And we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute on Facebook. Please, please, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps other people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget.